Augustine, the city of God. Augustine, the city Saint, of God. Saint Augustine. The Civitat Dei. Oh, some Latin, right up front. <laughs> there we go. Um, this is... Paganos. Oh. <laughs> I just made that part up. I think it's against the pagans. The city of God, on the city of God against the pagans. That's like the formal title, isn't it? That is, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know what I wonder? Ask me what I wonder. What, 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 what I do you wonder, wonder, Mike? I wonder if you're still going to be crazy in heaven. <laughs> I wonder, like, I'm going to see you in glory and I'll be like, you're still, you're still crazy. What's up with that? This is actually part of your thing. I don't know, because the main ingredient to humor is surprise. But you're going to know everything. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not no actually. Surprise. Like, you're, you're not going to know everything, because then you'd be. Who knows? You know. No. <laughs> that means you're going to have divine knowledge, omniscience. Nope. Isn't that what it means? Nope, nope, nope. And neither will it be timeless. <laughs> Just joking. And all of that. Good. good, good. <laughs> um, although Augustine did have some funny ideas on that, actually. Now that I think about it, but anyways, well, that's another thing. Um, all right. So Augustine, City of God, the greatest book in the early church. I think I, this is, this become this is gets my vote. I thought that was what we said last time. No, I was just joking. <laughs> <laughs> See, surprise. It's like, uh, have you ever read Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones? It's classic. Every single sermon is, and this is the greatest portion of the whole Bible. <laughs> like, oh, feel, yeah, there he is again. Yeah. That's, like, feel, his, that's like his standard intro to every sermon. This is the hook which is the giving you the reason why you should listen. This is the yeah. greatest text that's ever been written. Uh, dude, I, I feel the pain though. I, I heard someone um, say, uh, you know, my favorite, my favorite book is the one I'm studying, you know, and it's just, it really is like that, you know? Yeah. But, um, but in this instance, I do think though, of all the books we've looked at, Augustine city of God <laughs> is the greatest, maybe like, and you know, only, only matched by his book, the Trinity, you know, which kind of summarizes all of the thought, all of the achievement really of the early fathers up until that point. But the city of God, I mean, it's just mammoth. Can you think of anything more important? No, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a philosophy of history. It's a, it's, it's a biblical and systematic theology. Yeah. It's crazy. breaking some ground at a, quintessential moment in history i mean wow you yeah. know rome is falling they're under uh, you know eusebius the barbarians the visigoths yeah and, and, and you know this is post constantine and whatnot so there they are thinking this is like heaven you know this is the eternal city they're in the glory uh, you know glorious <clears throat> like golden age and you know um and now all of that basically had to be you know wrangled out of out of them um and and it really set them up for, for, you know, Christianity from that point on. Um, but not only that, you know, you've got, I suppose, just a, um, yeah, just a refutation of paganism, like unlike anything that we've seen up until this point. I mean, I've, this is the one book I've actually read of all the books that we've uh, looked at. So, I mean, just those first 12, I think, or 11 books. Um, yeah, I've got, a, I've got a PDF here and it's 1,510 pages. Yeah, I felt that. Monster. Monster mm, it was, book. It was a biggie, yeah. It's like um, a 48-hour audio book. It's a big book. It's a big book, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's so, I mean, I remember, we, I'm not going to uh, rehash all of that because um, I, I sort of did a few uh, episodes when I was going through it, but but I remember just thinking how, I mean, there's so much that's so relevant, you know? It's just amazing how you, how you see 
all these ideas that we tend to pin on people a little bit more recent, you know, to Augustine, but actually it's all at least nascently or implicitly in Augustine. Yeah. And it's, a, it's not like just, uh, you know, cryptic, it's identifiable, very clear, you know, even for a guy who's just reading, doesn't, you know, and for me, the experience was like, I'm reading, I kind of don't understand, but then I find something, then I read something, then I kind of just go blank for, an, for the next few pages. And it's just <laughs> one, of, one of those kind of experiences all the way through. But even so, you know, I wouldn't call myself a high level reader of Augustine, but, but, you know, um, or is it a close level? It probably was a high level uh, reading of Augustine in, there, in the <laughs> overview sense. Yeah, <laughs> but a, a close level, a sophisticated level, let's put it that way. And, um, and, you know, even so, it was just so, I mean, I remember thinking to myself, like, no one really looks at this refutation of paganism that he does, but it's just so incredibly relevant for like the, yeah. the stuff that we're dealing with right now. Um, it's all been just, just critiqued to death, you know, in that book let alone the second half that sets it up for an understanding that we would almost all, I mean, in terms of antithesis, you know, the, the two cities, the, the two loves, the, you know, the seed of the serpent, seed of the woman, um, you know, I mean, even if we've got another common grace doctrine that's kind of leveling it out a little bit or we've got some other things going on, I mean, everyone kind of agrees on Augustine. It's kind of this, you know, it's, it's amazing what he does in that, in that last part of the book. Um, and then you've got like a millennial sort of styled thinking all the way through. You've got all yeah. that stuff with the Sabbath. You've got uh, these interesting <clears throat> views of creation, which are a little bit different to everything else. And so, yeah, great, 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 yeah. great, great, great. Awesome great. analogy of, you know, just an analysis of sin, just looking at the oh, true man. nature of sin and digging into the fall and looking at where the sin was and uh, looking at investigation of the will and where, what will is. And just very, very I was deep. seeing, I was seeing a lot of purgatory in the city of God. (laughs) It was really, it was quite crazy. I mean, I don't know if it's technically, I would have to look at an expert to to see if we know what I was seeing was correct. Basically it it went along the lines of, I was so interested by it though, because he was saying that hell, even at at its worst level, you know, is kind of a loving thing. He was, uh, you know, he was arguing the reason for it, which I just, this is just a classic indicator of how different he thinks to the way we would approach the subject which is just why it's relevant, always helpful to read old books just for this reason alone. But, um, you know, he's going, the worst thing that could be is annihilation. That to, to not exist, it's always better to exist than not to exist, it's like a dictum, you know? And, and this is just a proven reality. It's like, there's no question <laughs> that that is true. So it's, you know, God could just wipe you out, but he doesn't. And that's, and then, and then from that, you get the kindness in the purgatory kind of vibe. And I think you can sort of start seeing where he, where he's going. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, things like, like Klein would agree with this, but the whole, uh, the glory of God being the very thing that is held to the one who stands in his presence, who is not purified. And then you've got the purification. If you haven't got a good doctrine of justification, you know, then I think purgatory can come from that as well. Anyways. Very, but very interesting. You know, he doesn't go all the way there and still, you know, just the way he thinks, he reasons it out so clearly. So I couldn't recommend this um, book enough, even though it is a big, a big ask. I mean, I've, I've been intimidated. It, it, you know, the idea of reading it was just terrifying to me for a long time. And you just got to decide. It's kind of like reading Kelvin's Institutes. You just got to go. You just got to do it. Yeah, I haven't read through the whole thing. I've, uh, what, I've, what I've been doing this week is listening to Graham H. Walker. And he's been doing a series of lectures on it on the, in the C.S. Lewis Institute. Okay. The C.S. Lewis Society of California. Dude, it's awesome. 
So wow. I can highly recommend it. It's absolutely just readings all the way through, just key readings and just like stopping and really yeah. mulling over what Augustine's saying and then moving on. Just mm. really, really, really powerful stuff. That's cool. Yeah, I had a similar, um, I was working through uh, Charles Matthews, I think it was. He's, he's quite an Augustine expert, but um, he's one of the great courses, you know, that great courses series. Um, yeah. And, um, and he's gone on Augustine and uh, takes you through the city of God. It was actually longer to get through that than the city of God itself. So that was the one problem with that, but it was very good. Um, yeah, it's worth it. yeah, totally. So definitely uh, with all books like this, where you want to tuck in and kind of get that info and his, historical stuff going, um, you kind of need that. Um, all right. So without further ado, let's jump in. We haven't got a lot. I mean, you can see how kind of random it has to get when you're taking snippets out of this. But hopefully, if anyone's listening in, I mean, what we're trying to achieve here is just get you one click in on church history, really. You know, at the end of the day, it's like you can read about church history, you know about Augustine, but yeah. how often do we read a snippet of what he said? And, and look, you know, you could do worse than this. You know, you could, it's a terrifying thought that you could have not listened to everything we've covered thus far, right? We've covered a, a whole good group of decent early church guys that you could quite easily have gone your whole life without hearing a thing from or having read it all. And that is, uh, I don't know. I find that terrible. Like that, that could even happen is bad, right? Maybe it's yep. just cause we're a bit of a, you know, the nerdy theologian kind, but, uh, I think, you know, to have got, lived your whole life and not even read any of the little bit of, of, of the great, the great theologians and the classics of the church, um, is, is a tragedy. So we're just trying to remedy that just trying to put something on the table so you can get through uh, these times knowing, Hey, I not only know about these guys, but I've, I've just, I get a little, little memory of what they sound like. And that's yeah. what we're trying to achieve. All right. So with that, that in mind, uh, you're going to kick us off with uh, book one, chapter eight or. Cool. Yep. Let's do it. Right. Uh, just to say, I got my copy of Monagism. All right. Yep. So cool. it's actually quite nice. Cause I thought the version I had the, uh, I needed to be able to a clickable index mm. so I could just click on book four and it would take me there. My yep. Kindle didn't do that. Okay. The one from the monogism does. So monogism.com free cool. ebook. Nice. The city of God. Okay. So book one, chapter eight. So there's a heading here of the advantages and disadvantages, which often indiscriminately accrue to good and wicked men. Will someone say, why then was this divine compassion? extended even to the ungodly and ungrateful. Why? But because it was the mercy of him who daily maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For though some of these men, taking thought of this, repent of their wickedness and reform some, as the apostle says, despising the riches of his goodness and longsuffering after their hardness and impenitent heart, treasure up unto themselves wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God will render to every man according to his deeds. Nevertheless, does the patience of God still invite the wicked to repentance, even as the scourge of God educates the good to patience. And so too does the mercy of God embrace the good that it may cherish them, as the severity of God arrests the wicked to punish them. To the divine providence, it has seemed good to prepare in the world to come for, uh, for the righteous good things, which the unrighteous shall not enjoy and for the wicked evil things, by which the good shall not be tormented. But as for the good things of this life and its ills, God has willed that these should be common to both, that we might not too eagerly covet the things which wicked men are seen equally to enjoy, 
nor shrink with an unseemly fear from the ills which even good men often suffer. Does yours carry on from there? Uh, no, that's good. That's uh, round about there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you see there the whole, it's kind of an implicit common grace, you know, he's, he doesn't ever go there explicitly, but he's, he sort of has to, because obviously, you know, you have these two cities, you have these two loves, but yet we all are sharing the space and you've got to account for that somehow. So it's almost like a Ecclesiastes, you know, um, reality going on there in his mind, but he doesn't ever, and this is maybe the one thing that, um, you know, led to some trouble and perhaps even now is becoming, you know, he's kind of the go-to if you want a Christian alternative, if you want a counterculture, if you want to, um, any one of those things rather than a, a common grace, legitimate city, uh, seek its peace and prosperity and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and so you see a little bit, uh, come through there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 Definite Congress. Just looking at the next paragraph, it says something similar. It says, for the good man is neither uplifted with the good things of time nor broken by its ills, but the wicked man, because he is corrupted by this world's happiness, feels himself punished by its unhappiness. Mm. Yet often, even in the present distribution of temporal things, does God plainly evince his own interference. Yeah. Just talks about how um, God is active. I guess it's, it, it sounds to me like Augustine is talking about that. Uh, in common grace, there is, he, he does good to the evil, but he also does small disciplines. Mm, mm. So it's not, it's not quite theocratic discipline. No. It's not quite theocratic, you know, the, the covenant of works being outpoured. Right. Uh, but God is just like a Romans one scenario where God is still, he does still make his displeasure towards sin felt to some extent, to well, a small extent. I, you know, where I would put that Without in. Being a full theocracy. Right, totally. So, really, common grace, common curse is the idea there. That that there is a common, there is a curse. Death itself, really, at the end of the day, is is something that points to yeah. to an enmity with God. There's something you know, we're not we're not all simpatico with God all the time. You know, there's there's something in in living in this world that tells us that. You know, why do all bad things happen to good people? Well, because we're at war with God. That's why. You know, that's the answer. And um, yeah. and so he develops that kind of concept. You know, and maybe, maybe as you say, goes a, a little bit over what I'd feel comfortable saying. You know, about about little providential moments, yeah. but but even so, you know, I think it I can quite easily put it under the, the common curse rubric. Oh yeah, I can I can work with that. It sounds like Romans one to me. Yeah, totally. like, exactly. God does sometimes manifest an aspect of His displeasure towards them. Right, and that's true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, you've got theocracy you've got um obviously we we know those things those judgments of god even that that weren't within the theocracy like sodom and gomorrah um i don't know just whatever else you know we know those have happened um and i think we dealt with this actually i'm remembering when we were we talking about covid19 or something probably you know we were we were looking at at how that all works and whether you you know are you to see this as a judgment from god and it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you've got to balance that reality with the tension of, you know, Jesus' own words. Hey, you know, those guys, you don't think that you're any less of a sinner than those guys that the tel tower fell on and whatnot. Um, you've got to balance both of those truths. Um, but you've also got eschatological intrusion. You've got to think about with those sorts of things as well, uh, you know, where there's a technical sort of actual pointing forward to the wrath that is to come. 
um, and to the more general things. So I think for, for me, like the safe category to work with, again, you know, as I was saying before, is just there's quite a lot. Of, it's almost like it reminds me of extraordinary providence and ordinary providence. You know, yeah. it's really that's what we're talking about. There's an ordinary providence and then there's something like weird that happens. Yeah. And that's still under God's providence. And, you know, obviously, if it's a negative, you can't help but associate it to the reality that God's in control. And even if it's not, an, you don't have insight to the judgment that's happened there and you don't want to fall into the trap of thinking uh, what Jesus warned about, that, you know, you somehow are, are better than that person or whatever. Uh, there's still, there should be a recognition that, you know, whatever is going wrong here will ultimately manifest one day in the final wrath of God. And, yeah. uh, and even if it's temporally satisfied in a way that we don't know about, we have no prophetic revelation or understanding to understand that it's still not the, it's not going to replace what's coming, you know? So I think it's still a safe category to work with because definitely, um, you, you know, know, it's, uh, what I like about it is that, you know, the common uh, problem, whether it's Job's friends or whether it's uh, Jesus' disciples asking him who sinned, this man or his parents, you know, bad mm-hmm. things happen to bad people, good things happen to good people. And Augustine's got the nuance to say, uh-uh, that's, yeah. that's not necessarily it's the a, case. Exactly. That's it. That, that's a great way to put it. Because you definitely pick that up in what he says. It's, um, it's complicated. <laughs> and if you, yeah. just, uh, <laughs> if you just get that, uh, uh, you know, I think that's enough. That's it's definitely enough to work with. Um, Cool. So um, I'll just much book shorter than, than your one. Chapter yeah. Four. Book four, chapter four. Um, cool. This is crazy. I remember reading this bit. Um, Without justice, what are kingdoms but great bands of robbers? <laughs> uh, for what are, what are robber bands themselves but little kingdoms? The band itself is made up of men. It's ruled by the authority of a prince. It is knit together by a pact of association. The booty is divided by an agreed law. If by recruiting abandoned men, this evil increases to such a degree that it occupies territory, fixes abodes, and takes possessions of cities and subdues peoples, it assumes the more openly the name of a kingdom because the reality is now manifestly conferred on it, uh, not by the removal of covetousness, but by the addition of impunity. Indeed, Alexander the Great received an apt and true reply from a pirate whom he had captured. When the king had asked the man what he meant by keeping hostile possession of the sea, he answered with bold pride, the same as you mean by seizing the whole earth. (laughs) Because I do it with a little ship, I am called a pirate. Because you do it with a great fleet, you are called emperor. Boom. So that's what I mean by the antithesis thing, because he kind of... um, you know, we would go, all right, there is a legitimacy in the kingdom and the civil state and all of that. Augustine was loath to go there. You know, he, he yeah. saw, he saw the antithesis. He saw, you know, that cult of man as being the dominant reality there. And really common grace was less of a legitimatizing of that sphere and more a, a God, you know, a necessary evil. Let's put it that way. A co-belligerency something along those lines. Um, you know, and it, when it came down to it, they were just a bunch of pirates at the end of the day, you know, yeah. and, and they, it, the system worked, you know, as it worked and, but it was no virtue, uh, it could be ascribed to them at all in making a great empire like Rome or anything. And essentially he's arguing like Rome is just a bunch of, yeah. You know, you know what I love about that section? It's just master rhetorician. Oh, and boy, what, yeah. Just what a, what a pleasure to read. <laughs> oh, just totally, a word yeah. game talking about justice, but they're actually, you know, they're a kingdom in and of themselves. And it's just, it's just, <laughs> there's that subversive critique. Oh, he yeah. uses that ironic twist on it all the time. 
and that was presuppositional, but there you go. For sure. For sure. Absolutely. 100%. And you know, that comes through in the first, uh, first 11 chapters of the book, because you basically have him doing that with paganism all the time. He's just taking whatever they critique of Christianity and then just running it through reductio ad absurdum, you know, just going, well, if this is true, then consider what you're actually saying here. And, um, you know, uh, I mean, it's, it's just actually quite amazing how he does it. And it's gripping, you know, it's a gripping critique. It's, he's just, uh, he's really showing you how to reason and think through uh, contemporary issues at the, same, at the same time. So, yeah, great. Couldn't agree more. Um, and that's a good snippet of it. It's obviously why it's included. Uh, but yeah, I like probably. the way we're hitting that common grace theme right throughout on both sides. Um, cool. right, so this next one is probably my favorite. It's yep. uh, book 14, paragraph 28. And just, just listening to the lectures I listened to, it seemed that the most, I don't know, exciting quotes for me, just in terms of theologically, mm. was were all from book 14. So mm. if I was going to make a recommendation for anyone to read a part of the city of God to get stuck in, mm-hmm. book 14 really stood out for me as a really catchy section. I remember the but last this is one. A, this the is last a famous one section where uh, it reads, uh, of the nature of the two cities, the earthly and the heavenly. Accordingly, two cities have been formed by two loves, the earthly by the love of self, even to the contempt of God, the heavenly by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. The former, in a word, glories in itself, the latter in the Lord. For the one seeks glory from men, but the greatest glory of the other is God, the witness of conscience. The one lifts up its head in its own glory. The other says to its God, Thou art my glory and the lifter of mine head. In the one, the princes and the nations, its subdues, are ruled by the love of ruling. In the other, the princes and the subjects serve one another in love, the latter obeying while the former takes thought for all. The one delights in its own strength, represented in the persons of its rulers. The other says to its God, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. And therefore, the wise men of the one city, living according to man, have sought for profit to their own bodies or souls, or both. And those who have known God gloried him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. That is, glorying in their own wisdom and being possessed by pride. They became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. For they were either leaders or followers of the people in adoring images, and served and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. But in the other city, there is no human wisdom, but only godliness, which offers due worship to the true God, and looks for its reward in the society of the saints of holy angels, as well as holy men, that God may be all in all. Yeah, amen. That's the heartbeat of the book, right? What a contrast, eh? Just setting up the contrast. And uh, just uh, what, I, what I appreciated in the lectures I was listening to, just in the opening salvo there, he says, the earthly by the love of self, even to the contempt of God. And one of yep. the things that uh, Graham Walker pointed out is that Augustine's not saying you shouldn't love yourself because the great command, you know, the golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself. There's a... Mm. Augustine's not against appropriate self-love. Mm-hmm. It's it's when self-love to the contempt of loving God. Mm. So once you mm. love, when when you have your your ordered, when your loves are ordered in their proper way, yeah, yeah, those you know, the, all those loves are appropriate. Yeah, 
Yeah. So yeah, that sounds very good. interesting when it's yeah. not idolatry. Yeah, exactly. And um, it, it's almost like you get confessions meets city of God at this point, you know, you get some of that flavor coming through, um, you know, confessions meets this sort of theology of the kingdom, you know? Um, and so, yeah, you get some of these moments where he's doing what he does in confessions. <laughs> he's just kind of like, just doing a little, what shall we say, psychology, Christian the- theological psychology, and um, and just yep. really bringing out those. those and it's moments. a psychology by looking at homotiology because he's he's, you know, misdirected love is is part of how he defines sin. Mm, exactly, and it's penetrating. It's a, he, you know, he knows his own heart, and and it comes yeah. through in the way that he formulates his theology. It's I mean, great. one of the things that Augustine does is he talks about the good things that we want. Mm. Like wanting to become like God, yeah, <laughs> but in the wrong time, in the wrong way, yeah. But it's 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 the good thing of sex that we long for. It's the good yeah. thing of you know we we want the good thing of owning possessions and glorying in them. They're all good things, but in an illegitimate way. Yeah, and uh, Augustine just just picks up on the nuance. It's it's he's he's just really in in, in touch with you know. But we would say that sin is that sordid, criminal, black, horrible. You know, we have mm. this st- stereotypical caricature of what a bad thing is. Mm. But Augustine picked up on the fact that, you know, it's good things that we mm. love wrongly. Yeah, which, exactly. Which often at the heart of sin. For all those uh, Doyavidian fans out there, the structure is good, but the direction is wrong. <laughs> there you go <laughs> there is a lot of that just um, that structured direction distinction in fact uh, a lot of the neo-calvinists that sort of you know come from Doyavet's line of thinking uh you know also latch onto this two loves thing in um in augustine and um it tends to they tend to kind of work together on exactly the point that you just made you know the goodness of creation the goodness of of those uh, those holistic desires that you know if not corrupted would be good things but it's just exactly. they're, they're used in an antithetical direction. They're, they're, um, yeah. Yeah. Good. Great. Nailed, Next one. Nailed it. All right. Now I got a short little one again. So anyway, sorry, I made you do all the reading. My, mine's, mine's long, but you, you, you do it. All right. Well, I don't know. He's only got like two sentences, three. Okay. Here we go. Uh, yeah. Book 15, chapter one. Uh, we have divided the human race into two parts. Those who live by human standards and those that live according to God, or to use Bonson's terminology, or Van Til, actually, it would be, there is either autonomy or theonomy. <laughs> that would be right there. Uh, we also mystically call these the two cities or two communities of men. The one is predestined to reign eternally with God, the other to suffer eternal punishment with the devil. Uh, that's it. And actually, you know, that theme right there just runs its course right to the end and just gloriously sort of, you know, that last chapter where he just sort of just rolls with it all the way to, to uh, the summary of the book is, is great. If anyone wants to check that out, I think that's yeah. my favorite, favorite chapter right at the end of the book. <clears throat> oh man, um, they have so much good stuff out of that chapter. Yeah. You want to, you want to fold some of that in? Oh no! It's just I, I was actually just eternally going to just the next paragraph down. Just talks about predestination by grace, elected by grace, a str- a grace by a stranger below, and by grace a citizen above. By grace, so far as regards himself, he is sprung from the same mess, all of which is condemned in its origin. But God, like a potter, for this comparison, 
uh, is introduced by the apostle judiciously and not without thought. The same lamb made one vessel to honor and another to, to dishonor. Mm. Just going on about the grace of predestination, just very awesome. powerful. Yeah, well, portion there. Yeah, that's the Augustine we love. That's why yeah. we, that's why we're Calvin, Calvinist Augustinians. Um, Doctrines of grace. Yeah. But yeah, that whole, um, we have divided the human race into two parts. Those who live by human standards and those who live according to God, the human standards are, you know, uh, altos, namas, you know, and theos, namas, autonomy yeah. and, and theonomy. I just think that's quite striking, you know, because you often think theonomy and you're like, oh, oh stay away. But uh, at an individual level, that's the bottom line. You know, that's the antithesis right there. You either are living, you know, according to your own rules or you're living according to, you know, God. That's the bottom line. That's the whole, the whole human race. Um, and this is what ultimately will, you know, and obviously it's not the living according to God that gets us uh, into that eternal destiny with God. But, you know, this is the response of, of those who have been predestined and saved um, by grace alone. Um, so, yeah, there we go. There's a little bit of a, an insight into... Augustine. Very good. I'm feeling God. very inspired. I think I might go get the audiobook. What a journey. 48 hours. Do you want me to just pray for you right now? Just two, <laughs> two whole days. Set up. <laughs> yeah, you can try two days. I think, Put well, me like, on a trip I, and a bit I mean, of caffeine. I'll be fine. I think you kind of have to hit it hard. You know, that's the only way I, I ended up doing it. Like I just went all day, every day, you know, and it still didn't take me two days. It took me like, like, uh, you know, but I think you, if anyone could do that in two days, I think you have the capacity. Nick. <laughs> two days like, of nonstop listening. I feel like it might, might, you might come out with bleeding. Your Blood coming out of everything. <laughs> but it'd be worth it, man. It'd be glorious. Um, anyway, cool. So How there long we go. did it take him to write it? Something like 13 years. Oh man. And you know what's crazy? That I, I often think about this. Like he wrote more than you can ever read, you know. And it's just like, how do you even do that without a word processor? You know, I just don't understand how that happens. But anyway. His hand looked like that at the end of his life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he must have just thought it and wrote it, and you know, that was it. Published. It must, you know, you got. Yeah. It must have been quite a free flowing, almost like uh, Thomas Aquinas, where he's like, you know, at the end of his life, he's like yeah he prayed someone heard him pray i can't remember exactly how the story goes but i'm just very thankful that i never had to read anything more than once without fully understanding it <laughs> nice well that would explain a lot that's how you write that's how you can end up writing some of those old guys are tough man those guys knew how to write they were thinking it through you know aristotle's four causes and oh. i know that wasn't just like i mean that was yeah you're you're yeah. substantive yeah yeah exactly and you know to think he's just going through the classics there once <laughs> just now okay, okay. <laughs> i got it i got it i'm gonna roll with this i think I, yeah. uh funny man anyway so these are the giants augustine aquinas so uh, we'll get on to some aquinas sooner soon enough um let, let, let's leave it there cool man cheers all right we'll drop this before church Quickly rope it in, rope it in. What, what are we going to say? You got to go to church because it's the city of God. Nice. <laughs> All right, here we go. Yeah.